Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I happen to think that this story about Joe Manchin not running for re-election is huge. Gigantic and massive and huge. You take a guy who just a few years ago, no elected official in any state across the country had better name ID, better name recognition than Joe Manchin in West Virginia. It just didn't happen. It didn't exist nowhere. And now, not because of the political right, but because of the political left, Joe Manchin is going to walk away. Oh, he's going to take a look at whether or not there is some level of a future for him with uh, some no labels party or running for president. But Dan, that's not the story here now, is it? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on? What's going down? Find everything at TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. Here's Joe Manchin in his own words. Today, West Virginia is attracting more investment, opportunity, and jobs than it has in decades. Here at home and across the country, we are building more roads, bridges, manufacturing plants, and energy infrastructure than almost any time in America's history. After months of deliberation and long conversation with my family, I believe in my heart of hearts that I've accomplished what I set out to do for West Virginia. I've made one of the toughest decisions of my life and decided that I will not be running for re-election to the United States Senate. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. To the West Virginians who have put their trust in me and fought side by side to make our state better, it has been my honor of my life to serve you. Thank you. May I discuss what this is? Because the statement is not necessarily the thing that it means. First, into the meaning. Did I say hello, Tony Katz? Tony Katz today? Yeah, I think I did. I, I forget sometimes. The reason he's not running is because for the political left, he has not left enough. The idea that he wants to now go about campaigning for the middle is not actually factual, and I would challenge him on this. The left has left him. And instead of calling out the left, he engages this conversation. The left left him. The left chewed him up and spit him out. The left is so far gone that Joe Manchin couldn't play anymore. He couldn't hang. He's no match for these squad types, for these bigots, Jew haters, certainly, as we have seen time and time and time and time and time and time and time again, college campuses, and of course, those members of Congress named Cory Bush or Rashida Tlaib and the people who hang out with them, like Congressman Andre Carson of Indianapolis. They're so far left, and because he wouldn't go that far It wasn't okay, we have a disagreement, how do we come to this? Traitor, terrible, attacks, vitriol, no room. No room. The guy with the biggest name ID in any state anywhere could not convince West Virginia voters that he was still the right guy for them. He was no match 
no match for the progressive wing. Let's start with that being the story. The idea that Democrats exist outside the progressive movement is laughable. How do I know this? Only approximately two dozen Democrats voted to censure Rashida Tlaib. Now, this was uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Jewish member of Congress. This was before that resolution. There's this vote that's going to happen on the Israel-Hamas resolution on the floor. Are you concerned that some Democrats may not support this? Um, I would hope that all members would support a resolution that condemns terrorism, um, the brutal attacks that were were perpetrated against uh, the Israeli people um, that were killed. We have 218 hostages. They took 222. Um, Someone who votes against this, I would think, doesn't have a soul. So that was about a resolution to condemn terrorism. If you don't vote for it, you don't have a soul. Then again, it was the Senate that said we're not sending the aid package to the president's desk because we don't like the fact that an Israeli aid package took money out of the IRS funding. We're not going to push this forward. I don't know how she feels about their soul. But someone who votes against a resolution that condemns terrorism, I would think doesn't have a soul. What about somebody who actually supports the terrorists by claiming that the slogan from the river to the sea is a slogan for freedom? when we all know, because we're rational people, that it's a slogan for genocide. The entirety of the Democratic Party did not come out against Rashida Tlaib and these bigots. Instead, the vast majority of them stayed silent when the vote came. Hakeem Jeffries has a statement. He put it out there. It's on his website. On jeffries.house.gov, Israel has an absolute right to exist as a Jewish democratic state and the ancestral homeland for the Jewish people who have faced pogroms, persecution, and anti-Semitism for centuries. Echoing slogans that are widely understood as calling for the complete destruction of Israel, such as from the river to the sea, does not advance progress toward a two-state solution. Instead, it unacceptably risks further polarization, division, and incitement to violence. That's Hakeem Jeffries, leader of the Democrats in the House. He did not vote to censure Rashida Tlaib. So he's strong on paper and a coward in person. Good to know. This is where this party is. This is where they're at. And we can go back, as we've often shared, that audio from 2012, where these people didn't want to vote to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The party has long hated Jews. The party has long been pushing this progressive desire. We all know that because we're aware. Now, Joe Manchin is a victim of it. And what does he do? He claims that he's going to go travel the country to see if there's room in the middle. This is where I get lost. What is the middle? I am often reminded of and often share 
the um, statement of Ayn Rand, uh, the the writer Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, uh, objectivist, that the compromise, and I'm paraphrasing here, the compromise between bread and poison is still death. Meaning that the idea where we can find some middle ground is not always true. Sometimes there is right and there is wrong. And this is why the conversation about moral clarity is so incredibly necessary. And that the people who will not engage moral clarity, college professors, college administrations, college presidents, who deserve derision for that. This is why the Jew hatred and the bigotry of all kinds grows. And we know, by the way, that it starts with the Jew hatred and then it comes to the Christians. It, we know it. The Christian hate has been there for years. We have seen the attacks and the bigotry for years. It, you, Christians know they're next. Why do you think that they're so supportive of Israel? I mean, certainly they, you could argue they've got a, a biblical foundation of it, but they understand the whole idea of the canary in the coal mine. They understand that they're next and they would rather not be next. So therefore you can't simply allow Israel to take the slings and arrows as they say in the business. You got to be supportive. And then, of course, there's just the whole concept uh, of people who may not be religious, religious, uh, but they're rational. They understand right and wrong. They understand evil. Uh, they can see and be like, that group of people is very messed up and very hateful. We got to make sure they don't win anything. But what's the middle? When, when uh, Joe Manchin states that he's going to look to grab the people in, in, in the middle. Who are those people? Let's go back over his words really quick. I've made one of the toughest decisions of my life and decided that I will not be running for re-election to the United States Senate. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle. Who are the middle and what can you mobilize them to? This is the question. What is the middle between a tax policy that says the American people can best control their money and a progressive policy that states that only government can control their money? Government controls some of my money? That's not middle. That is a policy I disagree with. Is middle, these people over here want willy-nilly a recreational abortion up to and including the moment of birth and three months afterwards, and these people want no abortion for any reason whatsoever. So the middle is... By the way, the middle is not 15 weeks in that argument. It's, it's just not, even though that's a number you often hear because uh, it's a lot of European nations that have that kind of, uh, of limitation. Is that the middle? Is the middle we need to have the strongest military possible versus the other side that says we're spending way too much on the military and the middle is what we'll spend some on the military. Sorry, we need more ships and we need sailors on those ships and we need to be able to afford those ships, which means a tremendous amount of cutting of other programs that provide no value and can be supplanted by private charity. Where's the middle in that? Because what I just offered 
as an idea, as a philosophy, one could argue a policy prescription, the, the, the people who claim to be in the middle would not claim that is in the middle. So who exactly is Joe Manchin going after? The idea of compromise within our system is extremely important and how the system is designed. It doesn't give the all. It gives the recognition of the moderation to achieve what one can. And thus you move slower. Moving slower is pretty good. It is the reason, as we were set up in the Constitution, that the House of Representatives is uh, responsible to the people, but the Senate was not supposed to be elected by the people. It was supposed to be elected by the state legislatures, so they are in uh, looking out for the state's needs. The idea of being elected every two years versus every six years, having that separation from the people. Sometimes you'll hear the expression, uh, the cooling saucer. The Senate is the cooling saucer. All right. The, the House deals with the, uh, the flames and the passions of the people. The Senate brings things down, brings the heat down and engages. And that's why they call it the world's most deliberative body. Oh, these people are constantly talking, chit-chatting, jibber-jabbering, making sure they've gone through things before they send something to the president for a signature or a veto. The system that we have in place is the system that is meant to bring you to some level of middle because it engages compromise with certain advantages based on political realities. Finding the middle is a peculiar and awkward thing because it is to lead one down the road to believe that there is such a thing of value. If I believe that you shouldn't kill Jews and somebody else believes that you should kill Jews, what is the middle? And why would any of us, in that, uh, in that, in that uh, example, why would any of us find common cause with the person in the middle? Because if I believe you shouldn't kill Jews based on their religion, just for religious purposes, you shouldn't kill people. How about we don't even say Jews? Based on religion, you can't kill people because of their religion. And somebody else says, based on religion, you can kill people for their religion. The middle is, depending on the religion, you can kill some people. You can argue with me, but how is that not the middle? The middle is not an answer. The middle, in the vast majority of situations and conversations, is a cop-out. It's like when people see to me, oh, I, you know what, I'm, I'm a centrist. I, I like to see both sides of a subject. What the hell is that? Honestly, what pseudo-intellectual claptrap BS is that? I see both sides of an issue too. You know what? Sometimes one side is right and one side is wrong. To say I'm a centrist, I see both sides of the issue. And what comes next? Aside from your couple of seconds of moral superiority because I see both sides of an issue. And did you notice one side is wrong and one side wants to be alive? One side wants to create a better tomorrow and one side wants to destroy it? You don't know how to pick? Well, I'm a centrist. I like to see both sides. No, you're a coward full of crap, a pseudo-intellectual freak boy. Sometimes decisions have to get made. This is what grown-ups do. 
Grownups have to make decisions. And what Joe Manchin is doing, instead of saying, I'm not going to allow these progressives to take this great party, he said, I'm going to go find some people who like me, who can't get anything done. Common ground is not the middle. Common ground is the compromise by which the system creates opportunity. Do we have something we can agree to? Some baseline that we think provides value. And if so, let's at least get that done. Now, your argument is, how in the world do you find the baseline with these progressives who won't find a baseline with anything? I mean, using Israel as the example, or pick another example, holy cow, I don't disagree. What would help is moral clarity and standing up from these Democrats who want to take a look at these progressives and say, you're nuts. Put them in a box. That would help. But the cowardice prevents that. And guys like Joe Manchin get run off. Run off. It's an unbelievable story, if you ask me. Joe Manchin not running for re-election. Unbelievable story. He went from the most recognized name in any state to being a brand that can't get reelected. Dear Lord, if a guy like that can't stand up to the progressives, that's probably bad news for all of us. I'm Tony Katz. I will admit that I have heard Joe Biden say many, a many, a many cuckoo thing. But sometimes even I, who do this for a living, am thrown for a loop. I have no idea what Joe Biden is trying to say. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. And for those moments, we have this. Harris-Biden administration. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump. And you ain't black. Got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the, go. You know the you know the thing. Say what? This one is. Uh, I'm telling you, I have no idea what's happening here. Uh, I'm Tally. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, this was the other day. He's uh, there celebrating the UAW, which I, I don't even know. Have they have they finished the contract yet? Did they got it all approved? Joe Biden said this. They did. I hope you so. I hope you guys have a memory. What? Yeah. Wait. Wh- what? They did. I hope you so. I hope you guys have a memory. All right, S-O is S-O-B, right? I hope you S-O, I hope you guys have a memory. He was was calling somebody a name, which is his default. He's a nasty, nasty dude. This is the default position. I have no idea. I've been trying to figure out context. I'm like, yeah, nope. Nope, Cannot, cannot do it. Cannot do it. But this is the candidate, at least for now, for the Democrats. 
This is Tony Katz today. So our kids are drug addicted and now we're keeping them for vaccines. I mean, I, I don't. I didn't know I was going to start a story like this, but this is a crazy one-two punch, which goes far beyond a conversation regarding COVID. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. It was two headlines, two different um, publications, but it, it, it leads you down the road that we are not okay. As a nation, we're not okay, and we're taking a situation in one place and applying it in another place, and we're taking other situations that we don't want to look at, and we don't realize how it's being dealt with. The first is a conversation about vaccinations. When it comes to COVID, I think it is madness that people got their kids vaccinated. We knew early on, and no data has refuted, that children in the main, don't die from COVID, that they were far superior at getting over it, getting past it, not having long-term effects of it, et cetera, or short-term effects of it. We might not know some long-term effects till later, but even people who got the vaccine may still have long-term effects, long COVID conversations. My father had COVID for a day and a half. My father's 85. He has COPD. Man never smoked a day in his life. Is it possible that it was COVID? It's absolutely possible it was COVID. It would be foolhardy to think that there were no effects and people had no issues. Some people did have issues. But the issue regarding COVID was this idea of forced vaccination through fear. That's what happened in America. And that's what's so unforgivable. And people won't forgive it. And they're right. Fear vaccinations. I have argued on this very show that I do not believe that the drug companies rushed to create a vaccine that would kill us. That's different than saying, I don't think it went through a proper level of testing and a great American uh, amount of Americans say that. And I have no issue with that because I don't believe in forced vaccination. I believe you can make decisions for yourself as an adult. But I must admit, I look at people who have vaccinated their children, including friends, and I'm like, I don't, man, I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe you do. Maybe you did it. Maybe you understand it. Maybe you think I'm wrong. I won't lie to you. I, I, I don't. Well, if the kid's not vaccinated, they can't go to this college. Screw that college. Screw that college and screw that college administration and screw that college president. F these people. Don't give a damn. Don't care. Not now. Not ever. Because my kid not being able to go to your school isn't, well, uh, a, a deterrent. Sorry. <laughs> That's not a, oh, well, I guess, I guess if they can't go uh, to that school, uh, how will they ever survive? I don't know. I guess they will. Remember, uh, a month ago, people would have told their kids, go to Harvard. You get a degree from Harvard, you get to do anything. Now, who the hell would send their kid to Harvard? You have to start by being a Jew hater to send your kid to Harvard, to Columbia, to UPenn, to Stanford, the whole freaking Ivy League. Send your kid there. What are you, nuts? I want to see. 
because uh, I'm saying that anecdotally. I want to see the data over the next five years if applications to the Ivy League goes down. Because if it doesn't, well, then you understand exactly how insidious this all is. The pseudo-intellectual set that sends their kid to the Ivy League already has the hate built in. So why shouldn't they go to a place that simply agrees with them on an intellectual level of hate? Intellectual level of hate. I got I to gotta turn that into a theory. Bring it back to vaccinations. Forced vaccinations was always wrong. And vaccinating the kids has always been a, a, a maddening thing to me when we talk COVID. Not when we talk other things. Now, I will tell you in, in, in full disclosure that when it came to my children, our vaccinations went differently. The story from Newsmax reads that U.S. childhood vaccination exemptions are at their highest level ever. That the proportion of U.S. kindergartners exempted from school vaccination requirements is at 3%. Now, that's a different number than where the vaccination rate is. 93% of kindergartners got their required shots for 2022-2023. The same as the year before. The rate was 95% in the years before the COVID pandemic. So it's close to the same. But the idea of the exemptions could very well be tied to COVID and very well tied to the idea that the vaccines aren't safe. Now, we could get ourselves into a fight here about the idea of vaccines and autism because I don't believe that the data shows that based on what I have read, based on conversations that I have had. And certainly the people who have pushed this conversation, um, some of them have uh, apologized. Some have come to regret it. I think some may still buy into it. When it came time to vaccinate our kids, there are ways uh, that um, groupings that the vaccines go under right? You've got measles, mump, rubella, and and you have other uh, vaccines and they get grouped together. And there's this group of shots that your kid gets. And my wife and I, who are not anti-vax, when we started going through this, measles, mumps, polio, uh, tetanus, uh, smallpox, all, all these kinds of things, we said, that seems to be a lot of stuff to inject into a, a one-year-old at one time. I'm saying one-year-old could have been two. I go with me on this concept seemed like a lot so we went to our doctor and we said do we have to do this all the way they say we have to do it or can we spread this out the doctor's like we can spread it out and we're like okay show us so uh she got out basically basically created a chart pen paper here we do this here we do this here we do this there and do this there and and we said that's what we're gonna do That's what we're going to do. I never believed that if if my kid got a vaccine, they were going to become autistic. That was not the reason for it. But rather, it just seemed odd to us that you would group this all together. And you say to me, well, the doctors say it's safe. And I'll say to you, this is a great example of how parents are more important than doctors. I hear what the doctor said, and my doctor didn't in question whether there was a safety to the vaccines or a value to the vaccines, but understood that it could be delivered a different way, and that different way 
might be beneficial. Certainly it was to the parents who want to do best for their child and no one was getting hurt. And we didn't decide, no, not that vaccine, no, not that vaccine. We decided a system for the vaccines to which our doctor was like, sounds good, let's go do this. Parents making decisions is extremely important. Can a parent decide I'm not getting my kid vaccinated? Yes, a parent can decide that. As long as we're over certain numbers and we can get to you know levels of herd immunity and, and things like that, we, we stand a fighting chance. There's a difference between COVID and vaccines that have been well within the system for decades that clearly provide value. The problem we have politically, ideologically, one of, of a lack of faith and a lack of trust, which the, the um, actual institutions are guilty of, and one of fear, which you could argue is more of a social media play. You can't let that stuff prevent you from doing what is accurate. You can't do that what's in the best interest of your kid. I would still argue that vaccines are in the best interest of your kid. I'm telling you right now I'm not a doctor. I'm telling you what I did. But how do you uh, convince people to do this if the fear factor is so large? Well, I can't trust the government on this. How am I trusting them on anything? That's, in that moment, you shouldn't be trusting the government per se. You should be trusting the history. And yes, to a large degree, the culture. I get that there are massive disagreements. I get the problems. I get the rot. I, 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 I'm talking about it all the time. But we used to be a society that had issues and then we were a society that didn't. These things do work. We're not better off by not taking vaccines for polio. We're not better off. And I would, I would defy people to be able to show logical conclusions. And that's me saying I'm, I'm open to seeing it. Where the polio vaccine is a problem. Not that a polio vaccine hasn't caused a problem. Those are different things. Because everything is, uh, has risk. It's, it's Thomas Sowell. There are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. I don't think the trade-off is a winner by saying I'm not getting my kid vaccinated. I think that the fear and, and the anger regarding COVID and COVID force, COVID vaccine force, which isn't a vaccine, by the way, um, if we go back and forth on that one, that should not be the reason to not do these other things by your kids. Speaking of by the kids, there is a story over at Yahoo Life. I don't know anything about Yahoo Life. And Yahoo has uh, shown itself to be a rather leftist read. A study was done, research letter published in August, that shows that children in the U.S. child welfare system, uh, youth uh, with adopt, adopt, adoption, come on, Tony, youth with adoption assistance, that is not an easy sentence, foster care or guardian careship, are more likely than other children with Medicaid to receive psychotropic medication. And they get the medication without getting psychotherapy or behavioral intervention, which means no therapy. How many? One in four? 
26.25% of children and adolescents in the child welfare system had a psychotropic medication prescription. 13.27% had two or more psychotropic medication prescriptions. That's insane. And if you want a bit of comparison, I'm so glad they put it in there. It's So it's 26.25% of children in the welfare system. It's 9.06% of children uh, who are in Medicaid uh, outside of that. So people who come from already existing homes, not in the welfare system. Holy cow. Am I the only person who thinks that that number is huge? Massive, massive, massive numbers. They have here that stimulants were the most common medication in the child welfare group because they uh, treat like ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, 16%, followed by antidepressants, 10%, and antipsychotics, almost 8%. Uh, We got a problem. We We have got a massive problem. When I read this, the first thing that came to my head, the and by the way, if anybody has a different number, Tony at TonyCats.com, if you can refute this, I, I want to see it. Because I, I had not considered this, right? This isn't my world. These numbers are frightening as all hell. And the first thing I did when I read this, I said, how are we as a nation not more focused on adoption? As a way of engaging a prevention of this. I, I will tell you on a very, very personal level, um, I'm not a man of many regrets. For anything that I've been through, for any of the mistakes that I've made, and there have been many, uh, I, I wish they hadn't happened, but I don't regret that they happened. Those are different things. Um. I regret not having more children. I regret not adopting. I didn't do it because we were broke at the time and it would not have been, it would not have been rational. It it, it would not have been decent. I didn't know how we were going to get out of it. I lost everything in the downturn of 08 or 09. I was, I I didn't know where where the future was going to go. I had these two perfectly beautifully beautiful and healthy kids and I said okay but if I have another one how am I going to afford and if I adopt how am I going to afford and, and what what if what if we move and I'm trying to build this radio career I don't have many regrets but that is one of them and I guess I'll lump it together and there are very few things in this world that eat at me this is one of them. Because I I should have just bit the bullet and said, you know what? This is worth it. And maybe if we didn't have our own and just adopted, I fine. We could have we could have figured it out. When I look back, I, I say to myself, I I think I should have been stronger on that. I'm a man of rare regret, and that is one of them. But I read this piece. These numbers are staggering. We'll put them up uh, over there uh, at TonyCats.com. How is this not like the greatest 
endorsement for the need for for the nuclear family. Get our kids off drugs. This can't this can't be good for society. We, it's not like we can have some level of growth if this is the way the 11-year-old is starting out their life. Holy crap. Oh. Two very interesting stories that if we think that just the Jew-hating bigots and China and the border are issues, which they are, we got big, big, big issues. This is Tony Katz today. So the early polling says that Nikki Haley won the debate and Vivek Ramaswamy lost. I, I get the point that you may not be a fan of Nikki Haley. You need to get the point that she has electability qualities. She does. The hardest conversation to have right now when it comes to the presidential election is winnability. No, 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 we have to elect this one person and one person only. In order to make things better, you have to win and you have to try. You have to win and you have to keep going. You have to win and you have to push. And it is possible that the situation is different than it was in 2016. Could Trump win the nomination? Yes. Will he get my vote? Yes. Does that mean he is the lock? Well, the numbers say so. But are those numbers changing? And will people pay attention to that if they do? That's the thing I can't answer. But they need to. We'll get into more of it on Monday, everyone. I'm Tony Katz. Take care. Take care.